Should you get a vintage acoustic guitar or should you get a new acoustic guitar? I get this question all the time. Literally once a week, somebody reaches out and says, hey, I'm looking at such and such guitar from 1967 or a brand new guitar. And they always ask me, which one's better? Well, on today's show, we're gonna pit vintage guitars versus new guitars to see who wins this guitar Royal Rumble. Hey, TAC family, this is episode 276 of the Acoustic Tuesday Show, a show packed full of inspiration and fun designed to help you get more fulfillment, progress, and joy from your acoustic guitar journey. Throughout today's episode, as usual, I'll be sprinkling in some acoustic news you can use, including a Christmas song that is worth listening to well after Christmas, a new way to buy and sell gear, and much, much more. Plus, we're gonna be looking at some comments from a few past episodes of the show, and one of which is a question that I'm gonna answer, and it's gonna help you learn new songs, learn new, difficult songs. That's all coming up, but first, vintage guitars versus new guitars. A very hotly debated topic, and today, we're gonna to come out with a clear-cut winner. I'm gonna evaluate vintage guitars and new guitars in eight different categories. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Tone, I've seen the show before. There's eight categories. There's two options. It's gonna end in a tie. This is not going to end in a tie. I promise you. I'm gonna come up with a definitive answer. Now, I'm going to try and be as unbiased as possible. And I say this from experience. I own vintage guitars, I own new guitars. So I'm trying to evaluate these guitars purely on what I see, purely on facts. Although one of the categories is immeasurable. You'll see what I'm talking about. Let's go ahead and dive into these categories. Um, the first one is tone. Category one is tone. And to me, the guitar type that wins out in terms of tone is vintage guitars. Yes, vintage guitars win out in the tone category more often than not, probably 99.9% .9 of the time. Now, saying this, you might think, oh, I'm dogging the tone of new guitars. No, I think, I think new guitars nowadays sound probably the best they've ever sounded. In fact, there are new guitars being made to sound like old guitars, and they do a really, really good job. Shout out pre-war guitar company. However, they're still new guitars. They still are new guitars, and they lack that little extra something that vintage guitars have. The warmth, the woodiness, and the overall age. And I always look at it like this. Vintage guitars, the pieces of wood that have made a guitar back in 1940 have had 60, 70, 80 plus years of being a guitar. Whereas new guitars are just pieces of wood that have newly been glued together. They haven't functioned in concert yet. Whereas obviously vintage guitars have. So yes, in terms of tone, vintage guitars win out 0.1 to vintage guitars. The next category, cost point new guitars. Yes, I have to give this one to new guitars. Yes, now, now granted, new guitars can cost a lot, but when you compare them to vintage guitars, it's very different. I mean, you're looking at a pre-war Dreadnought, a pre-war D28, and it could be anywhere from $75,000 upwards, $125,000. 
maybe more, depending on the vintage of the guitar, the rarity of the guitar, and um, its, its provenance. So yeah, I think new guitars win out in the price category, quite simply because you can get a lot of guitar for a pretty good bargain, especially when you factor in some of these brands like, like Eastman, uh, Taylor, Martin, some of their mid-intermediate price guitars, you get a lot of guitar for the buck. And some of those price categories you won't even see in the vintage guitar category, unless it's kind of like one of those as-is instruments. Like, yeah, it's vintage, but it needs a ton of work. So point, new guitars. So we've got vintage guitars with one point. We've got new guitars with one point. The next category is resale value. And you probably already answered this in your head. And yes, point awarded to vintage guitars. Vintage guitars quite simply have scarcity working for them. There's a fixed amount of dreadnoughts from 1952. There's a fixed amount of Martin D18s from 1952. There will be no more, but there might be less depending on if one gets lost in a tragedy or something like that. So when you're looking at reselling a vintage guitar, you've got that on your side. They will command a higher price. Whereas a new guitar, they don't really command a higher price. In fact, a lot of times when you sell a new guitar or a guitar that was built in the last 15, 20 years, you'll actually put it up for sale for less than you paid for it. Kind of like the whole new car thing. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it loses value. Now, there is intrinsic value in these guitars. You know, they mean a lot to us, but I'm talking in terms of actual price facts. I'm talking numbers here. I'm trying to be an, uh, an accountant here. Um, not going well, but you see what I mean. So yes, in terms of cost, or rather in terms of resale value, I do believe vintage guitars win that category. Point vintage guitars. Currently we are sitting at vintage guitars, two point. Vintage guitars, two points. New guitars, one point. The next category, availability. New guitars. New guitars get the point in this category. Quite simply, new guitars are far more available. If you're looking for a new HD28 from the folks at Martin, you'll be able to find one. If you're looking for a new Taylor presentation series, you'll likely be able to find one. If you're looking for a very specific 1946 0015, you're gonna have to do some searching. They are far less available, as I alluded to before. So point, new guitars. Currently, we're sitting at a tie. Two points apiece. Two points for vintage, two points for new. Next category, playability or tweakability. Now, what I'm talking about here is getting a guitar and tweaking it to your preference, adjusting the truss rod, adding a pickup, adjusting the action, fixing little things here that make the guitar more playable, more useful for you. And in my opinion, new guitars win in this category. Vintage guitars in a way seem untouchable. I don't know if that's really the right term. It's, it's really not the right term. Vintage guitars are a little bit more difficult to approach when it comes to adding a pickup, swapping out the tuners, adjusting the action. And I say this because there's two factors at play. Sometimes vintage guitars are a little bit more finicky. They're just, they're just harder to work on. Some of them don't even have a truss rod. Um, and also when you're thinking, oh God, I got this great 1950s Gibson J45. I wanna add a pickup. Some folks are like, whoa, 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 you, you don't do that. 
that's not how this guitar came, so you shouldn't make those modifications. So there's that kind of collectability, changing the um, all original status of a vintage guitar. Whereas a new guitar, they have a truss rod, quite simply, unless it's like a special edition that's made without a truss rod. That's a separate category. But uh, new guitars are very tweakable. You can adjust the playability. You can replace the nut. You can replace the bridge. You can replace the tuners. You can uh, add a pickup. You can take a pickup away. There's a little bit less weight that comes with those decisions when it comes to a new guitar. So point new guitars. Currently, let me do a little bit of calculating. I'm going to put on my uh, accountant hat here. Vintage guitars have two points. New guitars have three points. Did, is this the way you expected it to go? Is this the way you expected it to go? Let me know in the comments below. Um, I might ruffle some feathers. I might not. But this is just in my experience. I wanted to open up this discussion because I think it's one that has a lot of different perspectives. And all are valuable to entertain. Okay, the next category. This is one of the immeasurable ones, but I had to include it. Mojo. You can't measure Mojo. But I'll tell you what, if you look at a 1935 Martin D18, and if you look at a new Martin D18, you know which one has the Mojo. You know which one you want to come alive and tell you stories. The new Martin D18 would be like, yeah, I just uh, just got here. <laughs> I'm new. I'm new to the world. <laughs> I can't wait to, to see how it is and, and feel what it feels like to be a guitar. Whereas you talk to the 1935 Martin D18 and it says, oh, you better sit down, youngin. I got some stories to tell you. See this dent here? I ran into a microphone at the Grand Ole Opry. That's what I want to hear. That's what I'm talking about when I refer to mojo. So point vintage guitars in the mojo category. Man, I'm really getting used to banging on this desk. I feel like I need to put some sort of padding here so it's not as thuddy. I feel bad for the folks listening to the podcast. They're in their car just going, wham, wham, wham. <laughs> Anyways, uh, currently we're sitting at vintage guitars, three points. New guitars, three points. And we have two more categories left. The next category, maintenance. Maintenance, point, new guitars. I'm not going to uh, beat around the bush here, but in terms of general maintenance, this kind of goes... It's back to the playability, tweakability category, but general maintenance is far easier on new guitars. In my opinion, it's more approachable. It feels, it feels less uh, um, anxiety-producing, whereas if you have to do some sort of setup work on a vintage guitar, it feels a little bit more involved. It feels a little bit more like, I'm going to hand this off to the person that knows what they're doing. It's like, it's like if you, you know, your buddy tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, I just broke my arm. Can you set it and put a cast on for me? And you're like, no, I can't because I don't have that experience, right? You want to send your vintage guitar, you want to send your buddy to the doctor, the person that knows how to do it. Whereas a new guitar, maybe maybe somebody that wasn't your friend that broke an arm, you could be like, ah, oh, yeah, I can experiment on you. Horrible, horrible parallel, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, new guitars are far more approachable. Vintage guitars feel a little bit more... Um, a little bit more up on a pedestal when it comes to the, the tweakability, the maintenance factor. Shouldn't use the word tweakability there, but you, you get the idea. So new guitars, point. So currently we're sitting at new guitars, four points, vintage guitars, three points. We have one more category left. Consistency, point, new guitars. I've played a lot of different vintage guitars. 
the same models, excuse me, uh, the same models, specifically single 015s, single 017s actually. Uh, I went to Chicago Music Exchange, this was years ago, and I was playing, I think there were three different single 017s of different years. And I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between these three instruments. They were vastly different. Same model, but way different in terms of tone. Now, uh, when I was reviewing guitars for Music Villa here in town, we were doing the acoustic letter videos. I don't know how many Martin HD28s I played. They had subtle variances, but generally speaking, I knew what I was getting when I picked up a Martin HD28, a newly made Martin HD28. So I think in terms of consistency in sound from one guitar to the next of the same model, new guitars are far more consistent, whereas vintage guitars are not. You have to spend a little bit more time finding the sound that you want out of a vintage guitar. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with new guitars winning five points to vintage guitars, three points. So, new guitars win, right? Yeah, they win. I'm, I'm here to say it, I'm here to say it. New guitars win. But that comes with an asterisk. Yes, you knew I was gonna do it. Um, I think if you're willing to look past some of the hurdles you have to jump through with vintage guitars, i.e. maintenance, i.e. tweakability and playability, I think vintage guitars are worth it, but it takes a special mindset, it takes a special person to enter that world, knowing that you're taking on a little bit more responsibility. There's a little bit more weight that comes with a vintage guitar. There's a little bit more, maybe call it anxiety, taking it out to an open mic, taking it out of the case even. Um, so keep that in mind when you're shopping. You know, is a vintage guitar, something that you wanna take on. I'm not saying it's a problem. I'm just saying it comes with a little bit more, it just comes with a little bit more. Whereas new guitars feel like, well, it's a blank slate and you can write your own story with them. Uh, so on paper, new guitars win. I think it does come with an asterisk. I think vintage guitars have their charm, have their appeal for the right person. Um, like I said before, I, I like both. I really do, I like both. But I do feel that, you know, specifically the vintage guitar that I love in my collection is a 1935 single 017. Um, a beautiful guitar that was absolutely beat to hell. It's been repaired, but given its history and its former condition, I'm kind of okay bringing it out to gigs. I put a pickup in it, I wanna play it. Um, some of it's not original. That's okay with me, because I bought it to play, and I'm playing it. So different strokes for different fo different folks. Everybody has a different approach to these. I just wanted to lay out some uh, definitive categories here. Now, in the comments below, um, let me ask you, what do you favor? New guitars or vintage guitars? Do you, do you like knowing that you have been the only owner of a guitar and writing your own story with it? Every dent, every nick, every scratch is from you? Or, do you prefer entering the vintage guitar world? Do you, do you favor that world, knowing that that guitar has one hell of a story, has some sort of lineage that you either know or you don't know, but has that, that incredible mojo? Let me know in the comments below. 
And uh, if you happen to have an awesome vintage guitar and you wanna tell folks about it, do that in the comments as well. I think it'd be fun to see, uh, for those of you who love vintage guitars, uh, what you have. And for those of you who don't love vintage guitars, that doesn't make you less than. You're just a different player with different priorities, and that's totally okay. Okay, moving right along, let's dive into your first dose of acoustic news you can use. Christmas songs. How happy are you that that you're not hearing Christmas songs in department stores right now? Uh, I certainly am very happy. Um, not that I made my way to a lot of department stores, but they were there. When I, when I did arrive at stores over the holiday season, it was Christmas songs pounded into my ears to the point to where I was like, done. I was done. Day after Christmas, I was like, no more of these. Although my son loves jingle bells. Anyways, that's a different story. I've got a Christmas song that's okay to listen to after Christmas. And it was written by Riddy Armin. I saw Riddy Armin play uh, here in town some months ago at Live from the Divide, and she actually played this song at that show, and it piqued my interest. I didn't know it had been recorded on video yet, and then I found this video. So I want you to hear Riddy Armin's Christmas song. And again, like I said, it's well worth listening to far beyond Christmas. I wish Christmas would miss us this year This house, it don't see any cheer Well, the only thing bright is the TV screen light And I wish Christmas would miss us this year there's two kids and a baby one more coming in January this house is full but I feel so alone next up is a video you have to see I found it captivating peg leg Sam would be 111 years old today. Have you ever heard of Peg Leg Sam? Maybe you haven't, maybe you have before. You have to see him play harmonica. I found this video on Instagram and it led me down a complete rabbit hole, one of which I'll continue with you after you see this video. Peg Leg Sam is a harmonica player and he had a um, very interesting style. You'll see it in this video. He's playing the song Bumblebee. Here it is. Long come a bumblebee. Uh -huh. Long come a bumblebee. Uh -huh. Long come a bumblebee. It done the peg leg bands with a peg leg free. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Anybody ask you who sung this song? Uh-huh. Anybody ask you who sung this song? Uh-huh. Anybody ask you who sung this song? Tell them Peg Leg Sam done told a lie any longer. Oh. So I watched that video like, um, I want to say probably eight or nine times and just was like 
this is cool for so many reasons. He's feeling it, very plain and simple. He's just feeling it. And he's just sitting in a convenience store, it seems like, just playing for maybe a couple friends. And I was like, man, how cool is that? Does not care if anybody hears this, quite simply is playing for the enjoyment of playing, for his buddies, maybe killing time. I don't know the circumstance, but it just, it just conjured up the feelings in me. Now, being that I watched this video a couple times, I was starting to read the comments, and there was a comment that said, check this out. There's a great documentary about his life on folkstreams.net. Search Born for Hard Luck, to which I did, and lo and behold, there's about a 29-minute documentary on Pegleg Sam. But the greater lesson here is folkstreams.net. Now, I, I want to say I mentioned this on the show before, probably in the first 10 episodes of Acoustic Tuesday, but I wanted to mention it again because it is a treasure trove of all things folk. It really is. Let me go ahead and read the description of Folkstreams.net. Preserving the stories of America. Folkstreams is a nonprofit dedicated to finding, preserving, contextualizing, and showcasing documentary films on American traditional cultures. One of those American traditional cultures is music, and they've got some awesome, awesome documentaries. If you're looking for a Netflix-type scenario that is free, unless you donate, which I would encourage you to donate, especially if you find use from these documentaries. But if you're looking for a, a Netflix-ish type outlet that contains really cool, rare documentaries on lesser-known musicians, lesser-known styles of music, this is it. Um, you gotta check it out. You can browse through films. Uh, there's just so much on there. I'm just telling you about this because I want you to explore it on your own. This single documentary that I saw is the tip of the iceberg. There's some real, real, just real amazing stuff on here. I was gonna say real sweet gems. I think that's true. There's some real sweet gems on there. Anyways, uh, check that out again. That's folkstreams.net. Folkstreams.net. Um, just awesome. And like I said, if you find any use from that, if you really enjoy it, uh, consider donating. Sign up for their newsletter. I believe they notify when new things are added. Not entirely sure. I'm a fresh subscriber to the newsletter. But um, uh, yeah, go ahead and give that a whirl. I think, it, I think it's something that you'll find great uh, use from, especially, you know, we still got winter going on. It's just, it's kind of the time of year where it's just not great to be outside, unless you love winter sports. But chances are during the week, you're like, I just can't do it. Can't go outside. I don't even want to go for a walk. Sit down and learn something about American folk music. I think you'll really dig it. Uh, speaking of digging things, I was digging through, <laughs> that was a good segue. Uh, speaking of digging things, I was digging through comments from a few past episodes, namely uh, the Recording Your Guitar episode, the Big Bill Brunzi episode, and the Beginner Guitarist Pitfalls episode. Um, and I found some great comments I wanted to share with you, one of which is an awesome question that I'm gonna answer here. Um, there's actually two really great questions, one of which involving learning songs, the other which uh, involves just getting back into guitar plain and simple. How do you do it? We'll get there. Uh, but uh, on this note, you know, for those of you who are maybe brand new to the Acoustic Tuesday show, here we are on episode 276. Never in my life did I think that Acoustic Tuesday show was going to reach 276 episodes. And I bring that number up because there's a lot of great shows 
from the past that you can dig into, artist profiles that I've done, uh, varying topics. I mean, you name it, the, the topic is out there. So for those of you, again, who are new to the Acoustic Tuesday show, uh, please dig into some of those past episodes. I think you'll find them uh, really fun to listen to. I think it'd be a really uh, a neat journey for you to go on. Okay, let's dig into some of those comments. The first one comes from Matthew Lee. This is awesome. He says, hashtag small wins made it to 2,500 hours this New Year's Day with a total of 27,922 song playthroughs. Goal, 1,000 hours of practice by 2024. 3,500 hours by January 1st, 2024. Uh, I think this is awesome and very, I, I just, I, I think I'm speechless, clearly. Um, measuring the time that you put in is so valuable. I mean, here, Matthew can look back and say, yeah, hit, uh, hit 2,500 hours, New Year's Day. <laughs> That's pretty awesome to calculate that. I mean, how, how cool of a moment. That's just so awesome. I believe Matthew is on course for uh, 10,000 hours, if I'm not mistaken. I could be misremembering, but very cool to have that measurement. Uh, the next comment comes from Paulina Butterfly, who also has a, a, a question kind of embedded in her comment. Hi, Tony. Thank you for your interesting and insightful videos. I would definitely go with the sound hole placement and close up, referring to the miking position uh, for an acoustic guitar. With respect to learning challenging pieces, how do you know if something is just too advanced for you? I'm keen on Josh Turner's rendition of Let's Do It, but at the same time, all of his chord shapes are unfamiliar to me. Would love your thoughts on this. This is another question I get asked a lot, so Paulina, I'm very happy that you asked it. You know, I think a lot of times we approach the song as if we have to work for the song, and I want you to flip that on its head. You make the song work for you. In this case, you're saying, hey, I, I dig this song, but I'm looking at it, and I, I'm kind of thinking that's too advanced for me because I'm very unfamiliar with the chord shapes. That's okay. What I want you to do, or how I would like you to look at it, is say, okay, those chord shapes I don't know yet, but I do know, say, an A chord, or a D chord, or a G chord, whatever chords are involved in the song. That being the case, adapt it to the chord shapes you know. So if it's calling for some odd up the neck G chord, say, okay, that's a G chord. And just remind yourself, a G chord is a G chord is a G chord. So take that up the neck G chord and say, I'm gonna learn that later, but just to get the song under my fingers, I'm gonna play a standard G chord. So again, make the song work for you. Just because a song is played a certain way, just because a song is tabbed out a certain way, just because a song's chords are written a certain way, doesn't mean that you can't adjust it so that it works for you where you're at today with the goal of learning maybe the exact way it's played later on down the road. It's taking these small incremental chips out of the song that will, will help you get to that quote-unquote final version or quote-unquote recorded version. So again, make the song work for you. Don't work for the song. Make it work for you. I had to make sure I had that right. Okay, uh, the next comment comes from Thomas Zotak, says this, Hey Tony, I've been a member for roughly two years and the past month or so I've fell into a rut. Your little mental note regarding frustration is so true and it's probably happened to everyone at one time or another. Thanks, that's definitely an eye-opener. I usually play on an electric guitar. Yeah, yeah, please don't shoot the messenger. I suppose it's sort of cheating, but it's easier. However, I do own two acoustics as well and I do like them a whole bunch as well. 
This episode will most probably have me logging back in today and getting restarted. Thanks, man. Tommy. Tommy, I'm glad to hear that. And you know, I, I selected this comment for a very specific reason. We all fall into ruts. Whether or not you feel like your guitar routine is ironclad, it's going to happen. It's reality. And it's okay. Okay, I think a lot of times we, we get this recency bias where we think, I haven't played in three days. My routine stinks. I, I'm never gonna get better. Yeah, that's the last three days. Do yourself a favor and zoom out. Look at the bigger picture. You know, maybe up until those last three days, you were getting in four or five days a week, at least 10 minutes per day. That's amazing and that accumulates, okay? And so again, I, I select this comment just to kind of bring out the elephant in the room, acknowledge the elephant in the room that we're all gonna fall into ruts, totally fine, totally, totally acceptable and totally expectable. Expectable? I don't even know if that's a word. That's just life. So look at your routine, say, okay, it hasn't been what I wanted. I'm gonna make a change today. And give yourself the, the small little goal of saying, I'm gonna sit down, I'm just gonna open my guitar case and play for a minute. I know it sounds silly, but that minute will likely turn into something a little bit larger and it'll get you back on track. So uh, thank you, Thomas, for, for being um, just kind of vulnerable and opening yourself up and saying, yeah, been in a rut. I think it will benefit all of us to hear that. And again, reminder, it's totally okay. The next comment from comes from Clyde Ortego. How does a person get back into the guitar when he has been away from it for a while and if he does not feel if he is all that good? This is actually a really tough question. And I say that because our brain wants to stand in the way. And I'm gonna draw a hockey parallel here for those of you who have watched the show. You may have heard this story before, but I played hockey at a, um, I'll say a decently high level. It by no means was I gonna make the NHL. In my mind, I think I thought I was going to, but, but I, I wasn't, okay? But I played junior B hockey in Minnesota uh, this was a league that is now defunct, the MJHL, the Minnesota Junior Hockey League. I played for the Minnesota Ice Hawks, who have, I think, recently become the Rochester Ice Hawks. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Long story long. Um, played hockey up until I was, I want to say, 19 years old. Yeah, 19 years old, right after high school. And then I just flat quit. I was burnt out. I was playing a lot of hockey throughout high school, a little bit after high school, and I just, it had become too much. I, I wasn't having fun anymore, so I quit. 12 years later, I started again. Prior to starting, for probably five years, I toyed with the idea of playing again. And what was holding me back? What was holding me back was the thought that I wasn't gonna be as good as I was. I'll say that again, what was holding me back was the idea that I wasn't going to be as good as I was. What's the reality of that? The reality is, no, I wasn't. I had aged, I hadn't been playing, but I think if I was to look back again, one of the things that was really sad is that I was so focused on how good I was gonna be, what the results were gonna be. I wasn't focused on the fun I was missing out on. So when I did decide to come back 12 years later, no, I wasn't as good. 
But I'll tell you what, the first time I was on the ice, I had a smile the entire time because I couldn't believe I was doing it. I made that first step, which is the hardest step. And I was having so much fun and I still play to this day. No, I'm not as fast as I was when I was 19. I'm not as quick as I was when I was 19. I'm not as agile as I was, but I have more fun now than I've ever had before because I'm focusing on what I think right now is the right thing. And that is hanging out with the guys on the team, having a blast, being active, and being super grateful that I can still play goalie at almost 40 years old. Um, so my recommendation, how do you get back into playing guitar? Don't look at what you want the results to be. Look at the reason why you want to get back into playing. And that might be to have fun. It might be to let loose. It might need to blow off. It might, it might mean that you want to blow off some steam. Uh, you might want to get back into the guitar just to quite simply have a hobby. Maybe you find yourself retired and you say, you know what? I got this time on my hands. I never had this time before. I want to play the guitar. I want to fill my time with something that's enriching, that's fulfilling, that brings me joy. So instead of focusing on those results, focus on the why of getting back into guitar. And I think you'll find that incredibly rewarding. And I think, I think you'll find that just taking that first step will put that smile on your face. And just taking that first step will start the, the, the pushing the snowball down the hills, hill. It'll start that momentum. So uh, thank you so much, Clyde, for asking that question. And again, being vulnerable, some great, some great, great comments from those past episodes. And I think uh, with that, I think it's time to grab your guitar. Let's see what the TAC family is working on today. Every single day within Tony's Acoustic Challenge, the TAC family focuses on one of the five essential guitar skills. On Monday, they focus on technique. Tuesday, guitar licks. Wednesday, improvisation. Thursday, rhythm guitar. Friday, chord transitions. Today is a Tuesday. Today is Acoustic Tuesday. It happens to be a Tuesday. So the TAC family is working on a guitar lick, and here's what they're working on. Your Tuesday Tack Guitar Lick Challenge this week is entitled Ace Up Your Sleeve. It's a blues lick in the key of A, and it matches the musical theme this week within Tack, which is the blues in the key of A, but being able to choose notes to emote what you want. Do you want a more major sounding blues lick, or do you want a more dissonant minor attitude -y sounding blues lick. Let me go ahead and play this lick for you so you can hear what it sounds like. And then a little bit later, I'm gonna show you ways to modify it to kind of control its emotion. Here's how it sounds. It's a pretty nice sounding blues lick, very majory sounding. Nice as in it has a nice attitude. Here in a little bit, I'll show you how to give it more of a, a gritty attitude. But first, if you're sitting there thinking, I'd love to learn that note for note. TACFAM, all you have to do is log in. This is your daily challenge. Click Start Challenge. That'll take you directly to the teaching video. Once you're there, once you get it under your fingers, you can then move to the play along video. Pick a speed that's comfortable for you. And if you wanna pull up the tab, don't forget to click on that tab icon in the right hand corner that'll allow you to pull up the tab right next to the video. Okay, so this lick, how do you best use it? Well, as it's written, it's a great ender. It, and, and it's a great ender because it ends on an A7 chord, and then it also ends on a A major chord. It's kind of a nice way to give the ending a little bit of a, a, a blossom, if you will. Um, but really the musical theme this week is about taking something and choosing notes to help you emote 
what you want to emote, help you express what you want to express in terms of tonality. So what we're gonna do is take this lick that's very major sounding, that works over um, a major or a nice sounding blues, and tweak it a little bit so it gives it a little bit more grit, a little bit more dirt, a little more sandpaper, if you will. Let me first show you it in a, in a major setting as it's written, so you can kind of uh, start to place this lick and see how it would be useful. Here's how that sounds. With those full chorded blues progressions, I like to use a more major sound because it seems to it seems to fit a little bit better. It doesn't mean that it's the only way to play it. It's just just an option and one that I favor. So let's go ahead and take this lick and now tweak it so it fits a more gritty blues style. And instead of going to the open string, we're just going to go to the first fret. That'll give it a little bit more bluesiness, a little bit more, a little bit more grit. I keep using that word grit. That's the, that's the best word I can use to describe this. So let me show you the modification of the lick in conjunction with a shuffle pattern that I think you'll agree with me is a, is a kind of a nice match. little bit of a different flavor and just a subtle shift in the notes that we're choosing, reaching more from the direct blues scale than we are from the major scale. It's just a subtle little tweak and one that I think if you start thinking of it that way, you know, what do I want to express? You can start to choose notes of any lick that you play accordingly. It's a great way to take something that you know and almost create two things out of it. It's like a, well, it's like a two for one special. Now, before we get back to the show, I just want to talk about one thing, and that's something that can get you in a little bit of hot water when it comes to your guitar journey, and ultimately, ultimately when it comes to your progress, and that is comparison thinking. You know, I think as guitar players, we're set up to compare ourselves to one another because we see videos on YouTube and we think, oh, that player's awesome. That Tommy Emanuel, he's like a, he's from another planet. Oh, that Trey Hensley, I'll never be able to flat pick like that. No, because they're not you and you're not them. And that's completely okay. We're all on our own unique journey, and I'm not trying to get all rainbows and unicorns, but it's the truth. Comparison thinking only leads to negative thoughts, and ultimately it, it, it starts to bring in this doubt in your brain that makes you feel like you'll never measure up. I don't want you to feel like that when you play guitar. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to have fun. So while you can appreciate other players, try your best not to compare yourself to them because as I mentioned, it kind of sends you down a negative pathway. Have the appreciation, but don't compare yourself. Comparing yourself is really something that's not of any benefit to you because again, you're not other guitar players and other guitar players aren't you. A couple more acoustic news nuggets before I let you go for the day. The first one comes from Sweetwater. You're familiar with it. If you're not, I shouldn't, I shouldn't assume that. If you're not familiar with Sweetwater, you gotta check it out. They, they have everything. Amps, guitars, I led with amps. This is an acoustic guitar show. <laughs> You've got acoustic guitars. They've got, they have amps, they've got electric guitars, accessories, you name it, Sweetwater has it. Check them out online. 
if you haven't checked them out already. Well, they're offering a new way to buy and sell gear, the Sweetwater Gear Exchange. And I find this really cool because if you shop at Sweetwater a lot and you sell your gear through the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and you happen to choose getting paid out in a Sweetwater gift card, there's no seller fee. At least from my understanding, you can do a little bit more digging for yourself. This is something that is new to me. Uh, I just wanted to share it with you. Um, you got to check it out. I mean, how cool is that to be able to sell something without any fees and then reinvest it into other gear that you want? Pretty cool stuff. Check out Sweetwater Gear Exchange. You can find it right on their uh, homepage. I think you just click the used section. Uh, you can shop for used gear. You can sell your own gear. And then again, get paid out with a gift card. Boom, no seller fees. Pretty rad stuff. This next thing I want to show you is a um, something I found on Instagram, and I find it very cool, especially for those of you who are visual learners. Um, just trying to find the account here. Holy cow, what am I doing here? Okay, it's from the account Music Rayas, M-U-S-I-C-R-I-Y-A-A-Z, and I believe I believe they're using Eastern Indian musical styles. I think I've described that accurately. I'm not entirely sure, uh, but it's very visual. You can see the vocal inflection and the pitches visually. And I found this fascinating. Pick, pick a descriptor. Uh, here, I'm gonna let you check this out because I can't describe it. I just can't. Uh, so, so here it is. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Check out that account, follow that account if you wanna see more of that kind of stuff. I think it really puts harmony in perspective. It puts just general vocal lines in perspective, especially being able to visualize them, the pitch changes and the inflection. Um, next up is a, a little bit of a news nugget from Mule Resophonic Guitars. You know, they make the Mule Caster, they've got the Mavis, they've got the Mule Tricone Resonator. They're making a P bass. They're making a steel-bodied P bass. That's all I gotta say. I just saw a little picture of it. I had to share it with you because I thought to myself, that is just damn cool. So I wanted to tell you about it. And then finally, I wanted to let you in on a book that I'm reading currently. I'm almost through with it. And I've been fascinated with Muddy Waters since my uncle told me about Muddy Waters back when I was in freshman in high school probably. Um, didn't play guitar at the time. He just told me about Muddy Waters. He had a little Scottish Terrier that he named Muddy. And um, loved the music from the get-go. Didn't know much about Muddy, the man, the artist, the guitar player. Well, I started reading this book, Can't Be Satisfied by Robert Gordon. And wow, talk about an educational tour de force. Not only of Muddy Waters, but of the Chicago blues scene, the quote-unquote up-and-comers Big Bill Brunzi, uh, Howlin' Wolf, Chess Records. It's just 
filled with all these little history nuggets. And I didn't really realize that Muddy Waters was the epicenter of it. Maybe not the epicenter, but one of the main figures in the Chicago blues scene. I didn't realize he was so paramount. Uh, to the degree that when Buddy Guy came up from the South, Muddy invited him into his car and gave him a sandwich. Uh, I'm just actually on that part right now. I don't know all the details, but uh, a great read. If you're interested in Chicago blues, if you're interested in Muddy Waters, if you want some of the general history around the blues, its ebb and flow within Chicago, its ebb and flow in terms of general popularity across the world. This is a great book for you. Again, uh, it's entitled Muddy Waters Can't Be Satisfied by Robert Gordon. I got a used copy from a library for like five bucks and I'm very happy. Best five bucks I ever spent. Close. Yeah, yeah, no, it was the best five bucks I ever spent. Anyways, uh, I think that's a great great time to wrap up the Acoustic Tuesday show. It's a great story to end on. So on those bluesy notes, let's go ahead and take a sneak peek into next week. Next week's going to be a very, very important episode for you, for all guitar players. Next week, I'm going to be talking about preventing guitar injuries. Guitar is a physical activity. You can get injured from playing guitar. Take it from a guy who has had major shoulder problems because of the guitar, major forearm problems because of the guitar, major hand problems because of the guitar. No joke. Uh, and next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about the injuries that can occur and what you can do to prevent them. It's going to be a very important episode and one that I think you'll very much enjoy. So mark your calendars for next Tuesday. Remember, you can catch Acoustic Tuesday every single Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And before I let you go for today, please do remember this. Your guitar success, however you define it, is directly related to your guitar routine. So please invest the time in developing your guitar routine and make sure to have fun every single day that you play. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you for being a guitar geek and I'll see you next Tuesday on the Acoustic Tuesday Show. Cheers, be nice and play guitar.